Pages of Pim Better Podcast. What's up, Voyagers? Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter Podcast. This is episode number 192. My guest for today's episode is Fernando Lopez. Fernando is a chef and the owner of Factory Tamal. And as you may have guessed, he sells tamales. He's got two locations. They're both nearby each other in Manhattan. The location that I went to to record with Fernando was on, where was I? On East 4th Street. Yeah. And man, first of all, I went to the location a week before we recorded and I bought food. Had to do a little bit of research. And he was making blue corn tamales at the time. And good God, are these things good. Now, the fact that they're delicious alone warrants a conversation with Fernando, but he's doing it the hard way, the old school way, the way that I love for anything to be done with authenticity. He's grinding his own corn to make his masa from scratch, and they're doing everything by hand. And it makes a difference, man. I've had some tamales from other places that are kind of kind of dried out, kind of kind of too thick, and when you eat it it sits in your stomach like you just swallowed a brick and it's weighing you down. These are incredible. They're they're almost fluffy. And so good. He's got this mole one that is just it surprised me because I didn't know which one it was. And as soon as I eat it, I'm like, man, is that chocolate? This thing is so rich and so good. And so I wanted to talk to him about this. Cool guy doing original stuff. And I really wanted to squeeze some stuff in for Latinx Heritage Month. Fernando comes from Mexico. And, you know, through this food item... I discovered this this incredible story of a guy with an incredible life, really hardworking dude. And I'll, I'll let his story speak for itself, but, you know, once again, food is the vehicle to discovering an incredible person. And that's what I love about being able to do this. Now, tamales themselves are, they're a really old food item. They're these pictographs of pre-Columbian Mesoamerican cultures, the Aztecs, the Mayans, and there's pictures of them eating tamales. And Fernando even talks a bit about, you know, when the conquistadors came over and absolutely wreaked havoc, but he talks about the connection with tamales at that time. But as with so many incredible food cultures around the world, handheld foods are vitally important. You know, it's the food of workers and the food of laborers and the food of people getting things done that need to eat quickly. I mean, a sandwich, you're, you're essentially eating the thing that holds everything together, right? That's the bread or the bun. And so there are stories about warriors eating tamales on the way to to battle and to conquer new lands. I love this kind of stuff. <laughs> I can really geek out about the history of food. I mean, think about something like sugar. Sugar fueled the Industrial Revolution in England. It gave workers necessary calories and calories that were easily consumed that you could drink in a tea. And sugar was taken from the Caribbean and the West Indies. And an entire population of people was enslaved and forced into migration around the world, uh, across the world from Africa to the Americas. altering history forever. A food item. It's really incredible. 
But yeah, sorry. To bring it back to Fernando, incredible guy making incredible food with a great story. It's easy to get there, cheap to purchase tamales. Brought home five the first time, five the second time, and some soup the second time. And then he's doing some New York staples there as well. Go check it out. I mean, no one's doing what he's doing right now. It's so good. Here in New York, we are lucky to live in the best food city in the world. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll claim that. So go check him out. I don't want to hear, I don't, they, they, you're going to Chick-fil-A or Subway. You have no, no respect for yourself if you're eating at Subway in New York City. Come on. So go to Factory Tamal. Tell Fernando that you're a Voyager, that Tim sent you, and stuff your face. It's amazing stuff. I've got his website and his social media linked in the show notes, and I've got my Patreon account linked there as well. So after you listen to this, go check out some stuff and go eat some tamales. All right, enjoy this conversation with Fernando Lopez. Thank you for uh, agreeing to do this. Uh, it's really cool because I've had people represented from all around the world and the United States is so close to Mexico. And I've had um, one person so far represent the entire country of Mexico. And I haven't talked about food at all. Uh, so I'm really excited to, to have you on and to be able to talk about tamales. So thank you. Oh, no, no, my pleasure. Cool. Um, so, Fernando, you were born in Mexico? Yeah, I was born in Mexico in 1982. Ah, okay. We're both uh, 80s babies. Kind of like that. <laughs> uh, where in Mexico? Uh, originally, I born on Puebla. Puebla. Puebla, yeah. But Puebla has like a different districts. So my district is mainly Cholula. 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 Cholula has uh, 365 towns. So I'm, I'm not technically in, on Cholula City, but uh, I'm on one of those towns. It calls um, San Antonio Mihuacan. It has the indigenous name, Mihuacan. Ah, oh, okay. It's and not that far. It's like, uh, I will say, 30 minutes from the city. From Puebla. From Puebla, yeah. And Puebla is sort of central, but a little bit south in Mexico? It's mainly more central. Central, okay. Um... And when you were growing up, was it, um, I mean, you were saying you were outside of the city. Was it rural or was there, were there a lot of people there? It was just, it was a small population, I believe. Uh, my town, I think, is around 2,000 people. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's like really small population. And, uh, but most of the time, we just farming and like uh, do arts, uh, artisanal stuff, like making bricks, like uh, fabrics, or uh, I think what else they oh they farm they do they grow uh, apples back then yeah really is that what your parents were doing? Well, my great grandfather he was doing farming apples. Yeah, he was um, he was the richest guy, the richest f guys on the, in the town. Yeah. Wow, he's successful. Yeah, very successful. So I lost my uh, I lost my my grandfather before I born, and I think because my great grandfather. This is my mother's side. So my my father, my grandfather, he died by cancer, I believe, mm. uh, of the age of 30. So I never got to meet him. Wow, so young. So since my great-grandfather uh, got older and he has no, no one to take over the business, so they start just um, living uh, under their, their uh, fortune, like uh, selling it and just living comfortable, I guess. So they never get to take it over the farm. I see. What was 
childhood like for you? Do you look back at it with uh, happy memories, or what was it like? Well, I, I have a lot of happy memories. Uh, I think I was talking to my brother the other day that when we were like uh, five years old, seven years old, we, we, you don't, you see everything as a game, you know, you, you play marbles, we we play yo-yo, we play with the birds, you know, hunting the birds, which is typical game on Mexico. And also we, um, we just, we just didn't care about money, about anything, you know. How would you hunt birds? Did you have a gun? No, no, with, no. A, with a slingshot. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. So we make like a custom slingshot. Ah, oh, cool. And, you know, we just go around the town and just hunting the birds. But uh, there is some birds that we ate them, but uh, most of the birds, we just never got them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would imagine it would be hard. Yeah. Who, yeah. when you were a kid, who in your life was doing the cooking, and, and what do you remember them cooking? So, well, uh, my mom, she always stayed home. You know, my dad supported the family. But a lot of times, like, uh, my father had a bad time, so we, my mother has to, like, uh, uh, find a way to feed us. So we always invite, people always invite my mom to help on the festivals, on like parties. So mm. they, we always, uh, we, we went there and uh, basically my mom, instead of go play around on the party, we just, she just says, oh, go help your aunt, help your grandma. So. Basically, that's how uh, I started getting involved on, on the kitchen because they always have me to do something, you know. I see. Yeah. Was there anything regional or is there anything that like uh, Puebla or Cholula is known for when it comes to food? Yeah, the uh, mole poblano is the most typical, uh, I believe, uh, mole on Puebla. But also they have like, um, they call camotes, which is like uh, sweet potatoes. Oh, okay. They have uh, multiple flavors. And that's uh, annoying as a popular from Puebla, yeah. I mean, um, I would assume a lot of people know of the hot sauce called Cholula. Uh, yeah, well, that's that's recently. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I was wondering like if the, it was known for hot peppers or anything like yeah. that. No, okay. <laughs> So mainly from Cholula is now, I think it has like a, a lot of culture over there, but mainly it's the mole, which is identified from people. But Cholula has like every town and every, uh, like there is a, a, a lot of, of communities that they do different weights, the, the, the food. And I think, um, but the, every, the, everybody follow the same base, which is the mole. So they change the little the color, the spices, but it's the same base. But you know, always is they always fighting who's the best mole in, in, in every town. You know. Got you. Now we had bought the other day when I came by to talk to you. We had bought a bunch of tamales and um, we would we were eating them during lunch over the the last couple of days, and so we wouldn't know which one was which before we ate it. And it was kind of fun to like find out what it was. And I got to the mole one. I was like, oh my God, this is so good. And I can see up there that you, it's the mole poblano, which I guess yeah. is influenced by your childhood. Can you explain what mole is? Well, mole is a thick sauce. It's a thick sauce. It contains 23 ingredients. Uh, most of the ingredients, they're like, uh, Chocolate, yeah. uh, peanuts, uh, almonds, uh, cinnamon, bread, plantain. That's why it makes it thicker. And it has like three different type of chiles. It has chile mulato, chile pasilla, and chile morita. My mother says that chile morita sometimes it give you heartburn, right? So I remove it from my recipe. 
Okay. Yeah, because that's why my mother believes, and uh, I don't want to like uh, <laughs> yeah. have that issue here in Europe, right? Yeah. That's the only thing is missing to be similar or original for my time. Uh, technically, it's the same thing. Uh, so basically, some of the ingredients you toast it, and then the other ingredients you fry it, and then the other ingredients you just boil it. So it's a it's a three hours process. And that's just the mole. That's, the mole, that's a yeah. lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. All right. So then, uh, when and how did you come to to live in the states? So the state of Puebla or state of New York? Oh, the, the United States. Yeah, yeah, New York. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm basically I was like uh, I finished I finished twelve uh, school. I finished uh, uh, sixth grade and uh, I was about like 12 years old and my parents, they tried to force me to go to the school, but I think since I was seven, I find it out that school it wasn't for me. So I were ready to find a job and start working and start helping on the family, you know, getting some income. So, they let me work. They decide not to send me to school because I guess they need family financial support. So they accepted and I started working. I started working as a butcher. Uh, I started working like, like a salesman, like a candy shop store selling, helping people. So I changed multiple jobs. But uh, when I reached 13, uh, I start seeing the life is, becomes difficult and because I didn't go to the school, it makes it more harder. Yeah. Right? So I start um, asking people, you know, what else I can do? But they always tell me, no, you can this is this is what it is now. You can't just um, get a, like a other jobs because uh, you have no education, you know? Because in Mexico, you need at least high school too. To yeah have another job but uh, at the same time I was 13 years old so I can't just get any job you know so I I made it up to uh, reach 14 years old and uh, my friends they start they already came to New York and they went back to make to my town and they start telling oh you know New York is so cool it's a wonderful place you work they get pay you like seven dollars an hour and you make a lot of money, you know? And then my mind started imagining, you know, working in New York and make uh, $300 weekly instead of making 400 pesos weekly in Mexico, you know? Yeah. It's a big difference. So, uh, by that time, my father came to New York and, uh, and he said it was hard to find a job and he, he find a way to start working and he start sending money to Mexico, but it was really very little money. It was like, uh, I guess, like $300 per month, which is uh, it's, it's nothing for five, six members of the family. And my mom, she was complaining all the time because it wasn't enough money to support my brothers and school, pay the supplies for the school and clothes for my brothers. So I decided to come to New York. And uh, I, I was like a four, almost uh, 15 years old. Wow. And By yourself? Basically, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So my father was living in Long Island. And I called my father and I said, hey, um, I'm going to go to New York. And she's like, he's like, no, you can't come. There's no job for you. You're too little. You know, you're 15 years yeah. old, nobody's going to give you a job. And I, and I told him, like, listen, uh, I'm not asking you for permits. I'm just letting you know that I'm going to go to New York, you know. So they got really mad. And and I told my mother, this is what I want, you know. You, you can't stop me. So um, I'm going to go. So if you can help me, then I appreciate But if you rather not help me, then I'll find my way to make it to New York. So my father says, after a couple months, he's like, yeah, okay, come, I'm gonna help you get over here, right? So by that time, it was easy. 
you always, you only hire like uh, those guys they call coyotes, mm-hmm. and they they just bring you over. For they help a you get thousands, over. You know? Yeah. So. Was that uh, <laughs> was that a a scary thing to do for you? It wasn't scary. No? It was kind of like a like a adventure, you know. Like okay. Uh, well, yeah, you were still young. <laughs> yeah, you know, I wasn't scared. I was excited. Like, oh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna see new, new, new lands that I never imagined. I'm gonna cross uh, mountains, you know. I'm gonna climb uh, hills like I never did it before, you know. Yeah. It was exciting. I never thought that it was so risky. Yeah. You know? And I can lose my life, you know. But at that time, you don't, you don't, you don't think about it. So yeah, I, I talk to people. They help me meet these people. They help you to cross over, and we made it. So I crossed to from um, Tijuana to Los Angeles. Uh, it was it was kind of like uh, walking on the desert for about two days. Yeah, it was wow. really cold. Cold. cold oh, yeah. at night. Oh, wow. At night. Yeah. night. Oh, wow. Yeah, I never spoke about this with nobody in my life. Is this okay? To, I mean, it's yeah? fine. Okay. Yeah, you know, it's fine. Yeah, you know, I, I had, um, when I was in San Diego, I had somebody on from the, um, oh my gosh, how am I forgetting their names? Uh, the Border Angels, who, you know, assist with people who are out in the desert and do like water drops and things yeah. like that. Wow. And so then did you stay in Los Angeles or you then made it to, to New York? Well, this is the funny part, right? The, uh, I stayed in Los Angeles because my father, get he didn't get the money he's supposed to pay the people who helped me to cross over. So the people who, who, didn't, who didn't get paid, they told me like, oh, you can't go until your father pays the, the money. And I told him, like, uh, oh, let me call him. So I called my father, and he's like, oh, you need to wait because I I, stri- I struggle financially. I don't have the money that I promised you, so you need to give me more time. And I told to the people about, like, he needs more time. And so they made me hold two months in Los Angeles. They all support me. They feed me. They, they were really nice people. Okay. So it wasn't a problem. The problem is that I was trapped on one spot for two months and doing nothing. Yeah. Just watching TV, eating, you know. They were nice people. And so finally I told the guy to send me to New York and promise him that the first pay I get, I will pay him, right? He said, you're too young. I won't <laughs> believe you. Yeah. So I keep repeating to him. And so... One day he says, you know what? I know your uncle, because my uncle been here like like 30 years ago. He, he was here like a lot of times and uh, he knows him. So he told me, I'm gonna ask your uncle, if he trusts you, I'll trust you. And I said, okay. So he got the phone, he got the number from my uncle, he called him and he's like, oh, you know, we have this situation, your nephew is here, your brother-in-law can't afford it to pay him. Ah, so do you think your nephew can pay us? And he's like, yeah, if he doesn't pay you, I pay you. You know, he, he gives his word as a guarantee. Yeah. So I got, I met in New York. I end up on uh, New Jersey. Then I called my father the date I was gonna arrive in New Jersey, and then he picked me up. And of course, he left me. Be, he left me down again because he has no place for me to stay. So I was like, uh, I was lost. Yeah. You know. So he he has this job in Long Island. The, um, he was uh, like uh, working and sleeping, you know, in the same place. They pay him like a uh, monthly. Uh, it was kind of like a, like a, uh, those Chinese buffets that they offer you like uh, work and shelter. And they pay not bad, they pay okay. So he told me, okay, come, come to my job, you know, I'm gonna tell them to let you stay for a couple of weeks and then we, in the meantime we find you where you're gonna stay, you know? So I was kind of like uh, upset because he's my father, he's supposed to know, uh, you know, where I'm gonna be 
stable. So he asked to his uh, boss, and his boss says he, he he needs to go to high school. You know, and my father says, yeah, yeah, yeah. He once he's getting a place to live, then he's gonna go to the high school. But uh, in the meantime, uh, he can he stay? He said, yeah, he can stay. So I stay for like um, like uh, six months. But uh, instead of like staying on the apartment, I just went down to the restaurant and start helping. So he, and two weeks later, he offered me a job. Like, oh, you want to work? You got to go to the school, but in the meantime, you can work. And then I said, sure, why not? So what I'm going to do? He's like, oh, just do this washing, you know, wash the dishes. And that's how my career as a cook started. Ah, okay. <laughs> wow. Thank you for sharing that. That's incredible. Um, you know, I think people, people in Southern California, and understandably so, and people in Los Angeles will say that they have the best Mexican food in the United States. <laughs> but people may be surprised to know that here in New York, and, you know, particularly Queens, has Central American, South American, Mexican cuisines, like really good stuff with a lot of people who have you know, a similar tale to what you just told about getting to the United States. Um, Queens is where you first started making tamales, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was living in Brooklyn. Brooklyn, okay. I was living in Brooklyn, and uh, and I started... Well, this is the thing. Uh, I never knew that I was going to do tamales, right? So I was working all the time, but then one of my uncles... He was, uh, he, he had the idea to do it, but it was so difficult for him to do it in Connecticut. So he gave up and uh, he started selling his equipment. And I heard that he was selling his grinder, you know, so his grind to, so his miller to grind the corn. Mm -hmm. I heard about it and I asked, and then my mind pops and says, you know what, how about you, I do tamales, you know? He has the grinder, all I need to do is just find a way to make it. You know, because I never make tamales on back home. I always just watching my grandma, watching my aunt, and I just see and eat it and, and, and know what it tastes. But I never make tamales actually in my hometown, you know? So he, he I offer, you know, like a couple thousands, and he say, no, it's too cheap. I won't give it to you. Right? <laughs> and I told my wife, listen, your uncle, he say no, and... Uh, but uh, I told her that, oh, let's wait. Maybe one day he'll need money and he's let it go for less money, you know? So it happened. One time he called, he said, oh, you still want the grinder? And I said, yeah, but I don't have the, like, 1800 no more. Because he wants uh, 2500 and I offer 1800 So this time I told him, I don't have the 1800 no more. I only have 800 And he's like, okay, I take it. So I got the grinder, right? I got the grinder, and then I told my wife, so now we got to, what are we gonna do? Well, we need to make tamales. And she's like, oh, well, let's ask my mom. Let's ask, ask your mom, ask my aunt, ask uh, your aunts in Mexico, what do you need to start making tamales? So we started getting all the information about it. And we took, it took a year just to do the, the, the final prototype for the, for the public, right? You were making them at home? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, I mean... <laughs> this is another funny part. Let, let, yeah. This is another part. So I went to the uh, kitchen supply for equipment, right? Because <laughs> they told me, you need a steamer, you need this, you need this, you need that, right? So I got the biggest pad, the bigger pad. So I was imagining to making a thousand tamales, right? So I got the biggest one, so heavy. I, I, I still, we're still laughing. We don't know why I, why I get the biggest pot. If it's too heavy to, to deal at home, you know, to carry it. Yeah. It's too, it's too heavy. Now it's still in my apartment. Yeah, I don't want to give it away because that's, that's how we started the company, you know. But uh, I could start with a small equipment. <laughs> Were you selling on the street or? Well, yeah. After we got connected to the taste, uh, 
I told my wife, like, now it's time to, you know, see the people reaction. So we decided to start on Queens. We were looking like a corner, a perfect corner to start selling tamales, right? So we heard about this uh, corner spot on uh, Corona Queens and Johnson Boulevard. There is a, there is a, a gas station over there, but that was behind uh, Dominican Deli, who was renting his uh, outside uh, sidewalk for tamale vendor or any other vendor. So I asked him and he let us uh, sell our tamales. He said, yes, you don't have to pay me now. Try one month. If it works, then we can talk about, you know, how much you're going to pay for renting the sidewalk, basically. And the reason that I did that is because I didn't want to get any uh, police ticket or yeah. any uh, problem about my tamales. So... So we start selling tamales and, you know, people start getting connected. We start getting a lot of feedbacks like, oh, this is like exactly like my grandma used to cook when I was a child, you know, and that start made me like feeling like uh, excited about it. And at the same time, like really emotion because, you know, that's what I feel too, you know. And we start, we sell for six months maybe less like four months but uh we stopped because the winter came and so basically my wife mother she was the one who sells the tamales on the weekend and me and my wife we used to make them on brooklyn and then travel into queens every morning so they can sell tamales right and then after i dropped off the tamales i i went to my work so basically, I was doing this extra project like on my free time. Okay. But it was like uh, from 3 a.m. on the morning to 7 p.m., 7 a.m. So I got to go work at 8 o'clock. I was going to ask you that. You would have to wake up at 3. And yeah. is, is that to make the masa? Like you grind corn every day or no? Uh, basically, the grinding process is the day before. Okay. And the reason that we wake up like uh, 3 a.m. in the morning is just to make the dope and start making the tamales. And the tamales, basically, it takes like two, two hours, two hours and a half. Depends on the amount that you put it. But it, that's why it takes like uh, five hours to cook tamales. They steam for five hours? No, they steam for two hours and a half. But okay. the process to make the masa, to make uh, like uh, some of the ingredients, like the rajas con queso, you can saute them on that moment. Uh -huh. But the mole, you can make the mole in that moment. So the mole have to do like separate times. And the chicken, is it stewed? The chicken is stewed. Yeah, it has uh, garlic and onions to make it like a uh, different flavor. And once it gets cooked, we let it cool it down for couple hours and then we start shredding it like small pieces it's, it's a lot of work yeah I, I mean is that unique to you does everybody grind their own corn or do some people buy it pre pre-made i've been eating tamales for 20 years in new york and i i don't think nobody does that yeah they they, they will they will it by the flour or by the dry mist they call maseca but that's, that's the reliant on that one. So we are the only one in New York who does this uh, type of tamales. So why do you do that? Do you want to make it as, as, you know, as close to back home as possible or? Well, last time I went to Mexico, that was like uh, 18 years ago. And I haven't oh. gone to Mexico since that. So basically I want to get something closer to my mind, you know, like, I came so young, and because I haven't go, I have memories on my my head that are trapped when I was like 18 years old. And making tamales, it helped me to realize the the helped me to realize the the time it passed already. But at the same time, I've been living in New York and it's still connected to my to my roots. Yeah, you know. And that's why I I decide to choose to make tamales from scratch. 
But also, it's because I want to do something like people doesn't do, you know? Yeah. I want to be different than anybody else. I don't want to compete with other people. I just want to be different, and I want to make my own name, my own product, my own brand, you know, without competing with everybody, you know? Yeah, I love that. I mean, that's, you know, a common theme with a lot of people I've had on here. I was in... uh, I was on West 4th last Friday talking to um, this guy, Jeff, that works at Music Inn. And, you know, he's doing something that a lot of people aren't doing anymore. And I really love that sort of like old school, original way of of making it an artistic creation. Like the, your food is art. Um, so, yeah, I have, a, I have a great respect for you doing it, doing it the hard way. That's amazing. It was really tough because when I... I, when I wore my business plan to anybody and they told me no, yeah. <laughs> they rejected. So many times, you know, when I tried to find a location, they say, oh, do you see any tamale restaurant? No, right? So what makes you believe that you're going to be successful? You, you can't live only on making tamales. You have to sell other stuff and a lot of negative stuff. Even uh, some of my family members, they told me, come on, just sell tacos, sell something else. Why why you choose tamales? And I said, because I like tamales and I love to make tamales and this is what I do. This is what I like, you know? Yeah. It's cool though. I see you, uh, we're in New York, right? And and New Yorkers are uh, an original type of people and I see you've got the New York staple there, egg sandwiches too. Yeah, well, you know, and... And that's why I think uh, my family or my friends that got me wrong when I say I'm going to make tamales. So probably they thought that only tamales, you know, like a tamale lady selling just tamales, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But I told him this is, uh, have you seen like like a Dunkin' Donuts? He sells donuts. Dunkin' Donuts sells donuts, but also sells like egg sandwiches. Now it sells Mm -hmm. croissants. It sells different items, right? Not specific, just donuts. So basically, the name based on your and your product, but doesn't stop you selling other stuff. You know, this is New York. New York live on bacon and cheese. You know. Yeah. We can't change that. That's true. You know, so it has to be part of your menu. Yeah, I've been. I always say that when people are like, "What is like a New York food?" And especially for, like, kids in school, it's always a bacon, egg, and cheese. You get it on the way to school. <laughs> the only thing I didn't adapt to my menu is the ketchup. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Ketchup and American cheese, you know? You know, I see Longanisa up there, and obviously there's a connection between uh, Spain and the Philippines. But yeah. I could have sworn when I was in the Philippines I, I saw Longanisa. Is it that a Filipino uh, no, it's, this is Mexican. Mexican, really? But, you know, Spain and Filipino yeah, are of course, yeah. kind of like Mexican, too, you know? Exactly. So they have longaniza, but it has different flavor. Ah. So our longaniza is spicy, and it's made with pork and beef together. Interesting. Yeah, but it's known as a spicy, yeah. I'm going to ask you a couple things about tamales here. I think the history is fascinating. Um you know, there are, are like pictographs from early Mesoamerican cultures, the Aztecs and the Mayans, and they appear to be eating tamales. And I had read that, you know, it was a portable food that on the way to travel or to battle is something that could be taken with them. Uh, am I correct? And the word tamale has like, and excuse my like New York and like white boy version of Spanish. It's <laughs> terrible. I'm sorry. Um, but that's like the English or like anglicized version, right? Like your, the, your restaurant is factory tamal. Is yeah. Tamal is what you would say in Mexico or do people say tamales? Oh, tamal. Tamal. Tamal, yeah. Okay. And is, is, so, is, isn't tamal also a version of tamales, like without a filling in it? It's just corn? Uh, well, just the word tamal, it has like a different meaning. It's, it's, it's just it's just one uh, one concept, which is uh, like a corn flour wrapped on a corn husk, mm. wrapped on a banana leaf, or wrapped on a, a paper, wax paper, right? It's just the, the, the 
the basic. It's like saying sandwich and then almost. Exactly. Yeah, okay. So after that comes what, what culture you are. If you are like uh, Guatemala, so they do Guatemala feeling, you know. If you're Colombia, they do Colombia feeling. I didn't know this until I started digging information about tamales. I thought that only Mexico does tamales, but yeah. in general, <laughs> you know, that's Colombia, Ecuadorian, Peruvian. Everybody does tamales. Even Chinese people does tamales. They do rice wrap. Oh, yeah. rice wrap <laughs> on, a, on a banana leaf. I mean, uh, bamboo leaf. It's the same way, but different textures, different ingredients, but the basic is the same thing. That's interesting. Yeah, all over Laos, Vietnam, Thailand, you get rice wrapped in banana leaf as well. Uh, wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Now, there's so much work that goes into it I mean, who's eating it? Like, uh, are, are families having tamales often, or is it a special occasion thing? Well, just to make, uh, like, uh, to make uh, clear the type of tamales we're making right now, those are the type, those are the tamales, the, um, those are the tamales that, you know, back them, the, the how do you call those guys you know when uh, Spain took over Mexico the conquistadors the conquistadors yeah. so they, they 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 spread and they took a lot of lands and they built their own uh, they built their own houses and mm-hmm. they start uh, taking people over to slave them to work yeah. so they 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 getting to know the tamales but the tamale has the the corn has like a skin. It has like um, like the heart is very hard. The teeth is like a really hard to chew it. Yeah. So basically, uh, the Aztecs and the Mayas they were eating the corn on tamales, but they didn't refine the grind. And and uh, the the they call it sendados. The, the people who leader the the groups, so they tell them to start seize the the flour to get the the fine grind, so they don't have problem uh, chewing the the teeth from the from the corn. Oh, that's interesting. And yeah. So basically, my family, because like like I said, my great grandfather was uh, uh, one of those families. The live well and they have like a, uh, they can afford it to pay too many people so they can do the job so we get to know those type of tamales like not too many people does that yeah I see and that's why it makes it like unique because not even California not even Texas they do like that you know some of my towns they don't do like that They we call it cernidos because you know that's the process uh, the it becomes like fine grind. Yeah, what is um, I looked this up somewhere. I think some people Nick's tamalization or something like that is the process of making the masa. Yeah, that's a process to get over the skin. Oh, I see. Yeah, interesting. And then I get like, you know, is it common to have them at dinner? Is it people who are working that commonly buy them for lunch? So back then it's only it was for special occasions. Okay. Uh, back then I was like uh, for weddings, for like uh, special reunions, and because it's very hard to make them, and only people who has all the tools and equipment can make them. You know, it wasn't like oh. I'll tell the neighbors to make tamales for us, you know. It was a pleasure to have tamales back then. And, but then years later, there's, they start making for Christmas. Oh. Christmas for like uh, Day, Dia de los Muertos. It becomes like yeah. tradition. So those are the most uh, dates uh, where people make tamales. It's interesting. My, my stepmom makes pastelas uh, for Christmas, which is similar in a way. It's a tamale-shaped yes. thing <laughs> that's filled with stuff. We, we have some of those in Mexico. We call really? it... Uh, oh, I forgot the name. We call it... 
Uh, I forgot. I forgot. Yeah. But we have something similar too. Cool. Yeah. Do Do you ever experiment and do like different fillings or I do, try I do out all flavors? the time. I do all the time. Yeah. Like uh, I, I was doing. I started doing like a couple weeks ago. I started doing like a hibiscus uh, tamal. Yeah. Wow. So basically, we were brewing a lot of hibiscus flowers, and uh, we have a lot of flour, and we just throw it out. But then I feel sad, you know, like the all the flour that we throw it out. So I started searching online, like what can I do with the flour? And then they, a lot of people in California, they're using it for, they call it birria vegana, you know, which is uh, like a beef stuff. And uh-huh. so basically the, the hibiscus flour substitute the beef. Wow. So I start making uh, like like a, as a beef tamales, but vegan using uh, hibiscus flour. Yeah. Oh, they man. were really tasty. They were. Yeah, really if you tasty. do that again, I gotta come back. That's amazing. <laughs> but uh, right now it's getting cold, so not too many people order like uh, hibiscus water, so we mm. don't get too much flour now. So I feel I like see. we're gonna leave it only for season, like uh, summer or spring. They start getting a lot of water, so we start getting a lot of flour, you know. Got you. Wow, that sounds amazing. <laughs> I'm like, so people can understand, like, yeah. right yeah. behind Fernando is the is the menu, and I'm like looking at what I'm gonna bring home tonight. Um, how have you how have you done? during the pandemic and like what's it been like for you with running a business in New York City right now? Oh, it's very tough, very tough because uh, first of all, we start uh, fighting with the landlords because uh, they, they didn't care about how financial you are right now and they didn't want to give us a break. So we start... Um, we start hiring a lawyer, start fighting with them for a better deal so we can stay on business. Uh, that's, that's just the rent, you know, but I think also be, me, me as a chef, as an owner, I have to find a way to keep my business alive because this is all I have. Yeah. You know, if I, I don't see myself like going back to work to my old place or start finding another job, you know. I think uh, I built Factory Tamal for a reason and I don't want to give it away. You know, I want to, I want to keep doing it. I've been working hard. I bike from Brooklyn every morning and every night, you know, seven days a week. I don't have a day off. Wow. I've been working for six months. So I have to be the manager. I have to be the chef. I have to be the cook. I have to be the register guy. I have to be the dishwasher, you know. It's funny because um, I was talking to my wife the other day and I told her, like, uh, when I start working at a restaurant, I start as a dishwasher, and now I'm still washing oh, dishes. Yeah. You know? Wow! Like uh, I feel like uh, the time never passed. I'm I'm the owner, but I'm still washing dishes. So the only difference is is my restaurant. But it seems like uh, I'm always gonna be on all the position because it needs it for now, you know. I was gonna open another restaurant on January on Brooklyn, but because of the pandemic, then we we never got to sign the list. And thank God we never yeah. signed it, you know, because otherwise we would lose the money. Well, I hope we can send some people your way. Uh, obviously, comes highly recommended. Um, so if you come by, say hi to Fernando. Say that uh, you know TV TV sent you. Um, we're going to send, uh, in the show notes for this episode, people already know I'll have your social media plugged in the website and stuff. Um, do you, do you still do merch and stuff like that that people can buy? Like you got the hat or. We are, I'm working now on a new, new design cool. for winter, of course. So, you know, I, I don't know if you've seen those Hister, uh, sweaters, mm-hmm. the, they're, they're traditional in Mexico. Yeah. Right, so oh, um, cool. trying to do something like that, 
but we might run on the back, you know, like with my name uh, embroidered. Yeah. But, uh, but the materialist doesn't collaborate, so I need to find the right people to do that. Yeah. I see. But once I, I get it, then I'm just going to, before I think uh, it gets too cold. Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, listen, Fernando, thank you. Your, your story is incredible. <laughs> the food is incredible. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad that I got to, to share all that with my listeners. So thank you. Oh, no, no. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank cool. you for, for Choose Factory Tamal as one of your 91 shows. <laughs> yeah. We're almost at 200. Yeah. <laughs> cool. You know, but thank you so much. And thank you for everybody, because I, I think Factory Tamal won't be Factory Tamal if people don't eat tamales. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. So uh, that's my payback. You know? uh, all right, man. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. That is a wrap on episode 192 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Man, what a cool guy. I've been eating good this week. (laughs) I went to Factory Tamal twice in one week, and it is good, good stuff. So go check out the restaurant. Give Fernando a shout. Thank you to him for coming on this episode, for hosting me. You know, you may have heard background noise there. They were filming a movie outside, or maybe it was a show. I think it's a Netflix show that they were filming. And there was a generator powering these trucks and these lights. It was like right outside the place. So thank you to Brian the Wizard, as always, for making this listenable. Brian, you're the best. Love you, dude. All right, everybody. Thank you, Voyagers. And as always, please take care of each other. Catch you very, very soon. Have a happy, happy, happy Halloween. Peace.